and welcome to the Creative Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Van Doren, and in this podcast, I talk with some of the most creative and inspiring people that I know. From hearing about their process to what holds them back from creating, routines and rituals, to the intersection between creativity and spirituality, you'll hear from writers, actors, singers, dancers, musicians, painters, multi-passionate creatives, and anyone else who considers themselves a creative soul. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Creative Soul Podcast. This episode is so special to me because my guest this week is Kate Lumpkin. And before I tell you who Kate is and what she does, I have to tell you what personally she has meant to me throughout my journey. Back in 2017, I had just graduated from college from a program in musical theater and was feeling really lost in the industry and feeling really lost on my next step. And I remember finding Kate and listening to her Office Hours podcast where she takes questions from the theater community and answers and demystifies some of the casting process and just has generally amazing advice for young artists and actors in the industry. And I just remember listening to Kate's podcast when I was feeling really low and her just giving me so much inspiration, so much insight. And since then, she has been one of my favorite people to follow on social media. The truth bombs that she drops, the insight and the honesty and just the openness and vulnerability and the kindness and grace that she gives her community is something that I aspire to be. And I'm just so honored that she's on my podcast today. And the fact that I was listening to her four years ago in my headphones, and now I'm speaking with her in your headphones and just the whole full circle of that moment is beautiful. Kate is the founder and lead casting director at Kate Lumpkin Casting. She has worked on over 40 TV and film productions and 80 theatrical productions in New York City and across the USA as a casting professional. She also teaches workshops in New York and at colleges and universities and is also a professor at James Madison University. She is a private coach to clients from all around the world and is also the host of Broadway wellness for playbill.com. This episode is just full of all of the golden nuggets and wisdom. We talk a bit about creativity and capitalism and how creativity is so often been tied into like productivity hustle culture. And we talk about Kate's experience in trying to dismantle that within herself. We also talk about point of view and her method for figuring out your point of view as an artist and how that's one of the most important things that you can do as an artist, whether as a professional or an amateur. We also talk about what lights her up as a consumer of stories and as a champion of storytelling and a little bit more about her job as a casting director and what she does um, throughout the casting process. She tells us a bit more about her work with No Marking, which is a platform that she created during the pandemic with free online educational classes 
of every kind in the theater industry. I taught a class with No Marking back last April, and she now has that as like a living archive and resource for people. So definitely check out No Marking. I'll put the link in the show notes. And then we also talk about some of her personal self-care practices and the study of personal adornment and what that means to her. And she gives some of the best advice I've ever heard about creative resources. And if you listen to this podcast, you know we love creative resources. I love sharing creative resources and asking people about their creative resources, but she truly takes it to the next level and tells us how we can figure out what creative resources we need, which I just thought was so cool. And last but not least, I asked her what her human design was and she sent that over to me. And we discovered that we are both sacral generators with a 2-4 in our profile. So if you don't know what any of that means, that's totally fine. But if you are interested in human design, we talked about human design in my episode with Carrie Van Kirk, which you can check out but I'm so honored to have Kate on the podcast and enjoy this conversation with Kate Lumpkin. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for coming on the Creative Soul Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, so the first question I ask everyone is, what is currently fueling your creative soul? Oh, man. You know, I could... I could really lie right now and say something very pretty and shiny, shiny, but the real truth, <laughs> let's just go. Let's just go. Let's just do it. <laughs> real truth is um, I'm really struggling to find something right now to fill my creativity. And, and that's been a real challenge because I have never in 33 years of my existence struggled to tap into my creative well and like be able to find the fuel to like fuel that fire. And especially in the last like nine months, really it's been work. It's been active work to try to tap into my creativity in a way that it hasn't felt like that before. So I am rereading The Creative Habit by Twyla Tharp, trying to practice and create some new rituals to find the, the tools that I need to access my creativity. And I'm also trying to just grant myself some grace and some permission of like, okay, if it's not today, it's not today. Like if you're not going to find it today, that's okay. And no one, your creativity is not anyone else's responsibility. So if, if today I just want to watch and partake in other people's creativity, then that's also cool. Like that's okay as well, but I'm struggling a little and I just can't lie about it, you know? Cause I think yeah. I'm not, alone. I think I'm not alone in that. You're definitely not alone in that. And thank you just for that transparency. Cause I think that's, that's what people need to hear. And especially this time, like we've never gone through something like this before. And as it goes on longer and longer and longer, I feel like I know for myself, I felt like, oh, well now I can't like use the pandemic as an excuse, but it's like, but wait, we're still in a pandemic. I can still use it. Like not as an excuse, but just again, granting yourself that permission and that grace because we're still in this. Well, I think also I am having to relearn what my creativity is for. I think the reality is for the better part of a decade for me. And I mean, I've been a professional artist, professional actor and artist since I was like eight. And so for so long, I think my creativity was so intrinsically tied to like capitalist notions, right? Like I am making my creativity, I'm utilizing my creative self to make money, to gain access, to create a life, to, to do all these things. And now that that creativity 
there's no access to making money from it in the same way or in doing that thing, I've had to really reevaluate, okay, like, what is my creativity? What am I using it for? How am I accessing it if it's not for like a capitalist experience? And that's been a really big challenge because it's not that I don't have access to my creative brain. It's like, what am I using it for? And how is this for me? Like, what am I doing for me and not for others and not for some sort of gain? And what's cool about that is I've like discovered I love embroidery and making things just for me with my hands, which is something I've never tackled before. And when I am inspired to write, I'm writing things like I haven't written ever in my life that are so not rooted in needing to like have Disney make it into a movie, but like, I just want to write this. So I think it's also interesting that when I am tapping into my creativity, I'm finding very different things that I want to use it for, which I know a lot of people are going through as well. When we remove the paycheck from our creativity, what do we actually want to use it for? Yeah, those are such good points. And again, it's so cool to hear like your process of discovery because you might have never discovered that you like embroidery. And what does that give you? And asking Again, that like, I think we've all been in this very intense mindset of productivity and hustle and all those kinds of things. And Mm -hmm. this pause has really given us time to really check in with ourselves of what is it for? And so I'm curious, like how, can you give us a little before and after, like what were you doing pre-pandemic and was your creative soul being fueled? And like, did you ever have time to ask those questions or was it because we just never really stopped to ask ourselves those things? I mean, before the pandemic, I was really, so for people who don't know me, I am like a casting director and a creative and a producer, and I have my own casting firm. And I started it about four years ago. And when you talk about like the word hustle, I was a part of hustle culture. And not only was I a part of it actively, but I was also promoting it in a real way, which I think now looking back was highly problematic. And I'm like deeply, deeply sorry for utilizing that kind of language so much. This idea of like the hustle is real. You got to fight for it. You got to work harder, work till you bleed. Like I would say these things because I was also doing those things and I was seeing that it was working. So my thought was if it's working for me, it will work for other folks. And I want people to feel empowered. Like if you do the work, the work will work for you. And I think that in some ways, whether we like it or not, that is true, but it's also so harmful. And before this, before the pandemic, like March 12th of last year, I had like 12 plus shows lined up that I was ready to cast. I had worked my ass off. I had just hired two employees for the first time. I was like putting people on a W-2 and they were like actually on my team. And I had worked for years to be able to afford that. I was in LA in final callbacks for a play I was casting out there. And then I was going to fly back and I was going to do an EPA on the next day. And I had just been in, in Toronto casting and teaching, like for all intents and purposes, like I was doing the damn thing. And I, I was, and I am really proud of how I built that and the work I was doing and how I did that by myself, like, I I definitely had helpers, but like the relationship building and the money, like I built that with that hustle spirit that was happening. And and I'm really proud of that. But when you ask like my creativity, my creativity was entirely entrenched in business ideology. Like I was like, how can I make this thing happen? And how can I also create 
bigger discussions in our industry. Like, how can I do that? And I spent a lot of time and a lot of effort doing that and a lot of time teaching as well. That's where my creativity really like pushed itself. And throughout the pandemic and now the teaching piece is what has really stuck. And it's the thing that I am obsessed with and that I love. And when I've removed the other piece, I'm like, oh, right. I was casting so that people would let me teach. Like I was a casting director so that colleges would like, quote unquote, deem me worthy enough to come in and do a workshop at their college. And that was the piece that I loved. Like going to the college and doing the workshop was what I actually loved way more than the casting piece, even though I did love that too. So that's been a really interesting like realization for me is when we strip away the, the other, we find that we, that for me, at least I was already doing pockets of things that I really loved, but I was like doing this hustle to ensure that people like deemed me worthy of doing the thing that I really loved. And that's been a really interesting realization for me. Yeah. I was just recommended a book called the essentialism of like doing less. And so it's this idea of like, we're trying, there's a one thing that we really want to do, but we try to do it in all these other ways. And sure. Some of those other ways give us things, but maybe what we, if we actually just focused on just the one smaller thing that maybe then we wouldn't be as busy all the time, you know, we could go further. And so I'm super curious for you, like, let's say that life goes back to normal in a couple months. And like, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you think has shifted for you? Do you think you would want to go right back into casting in the way that you've been doing it before or what has shifted? I mean, I really do love casting, but what I love about casting the most is providing and creating opportunity for other folks and like creating uh, safe spaces and creating interesting spaces. And most importantly, like having dialogue about like transforming lives in the industry. So for me, when you say like, do you want to go back to casting in the same way you were? No, like I'd like to go back to casting, but I'd like there to be a whole lot of fucking changes in how we do the process so that it is much more human centered, that it's much more equitable, that it's much more fair to people's psyches and people's bodies. And so sure, I'd love to go back to casting, but only if I thought that the industry was also working towards making those kind of changes. I really would love also to work in the educational sphere. I think there is so much problematic action being taught and reinforced in the BFA programs across the country and something that I'd really, really love to do so deeply because I care deeply about those students and those professors and the the work that's being done in those spaces. I would love to be a part of the shift and change in the education process on the BFA level in the country as well. That's something that I'd really, really like to be a part of. Mm, Yeah, well, I'll just say that like a few years ago, listening to your Office Hours podcast after just graduating a BA program and being like in the BFA musical theater world, like I felt like you were already doing that work and you were already helping others like feel seen. And I just, I felt like what you were creating was like the future of theater. And so you were doing the work, you are doing the work, you will continue to do the work. So that's just a confirmation for you. You talk a lot about point of view in your work. And Mm -hmm. so I'm super curious, like what, what is point of view to you and how does that relate to creativity, to your work, to teaching others? This goes back to what I was saying about like the way we're educating artists. I think so much of the arts education experience right now is skills based. It is like, can you land a clean triple? Can you hit this very high note? And how are you supporting it? And where's the placement? And all of that is vital. It's so important. But what I am seeing is missing is like the education of humanity. 
of understanding self, of asking really big questions, of honoring, like learning about your journey as a person and how that affects the way you are an artist, right? Because the people that we're so passionate about, that we love so deeply, these like divas or whatever word we're gonna use, what that means is they have a really strong point of view. We're obsessed with Patti Lapone because Patti Lapone has a really strong point of view. She's not afraid to talk about it. She knows how to tap into it. And that is what makes it so that she does work in a way that nobody else has done it. Her Gypsy Rose, or she's, she wasn't Gypsy Rosalie. She was Mama Rose, let's be honest. But her Mama Rose was very different than Bernadette's Mama Rose. It's very different than Tyne Daly's. Like they're all very different because they have a strong point of view. And so for me, point of view means a couple things. It means what are the moments that made you? Mm. What is your code, your ethical code, your moral code, the things that you would fight for, the things that you believe in? And then how do you express those things? How do those moments that changed you and the code that you live by, how do you share those things? Is it through acting? Sure. But is it also through the way you communicate, hugs, baking, the way you move your body in space. There are so many ways we express those things. And so when we add up moments, code, and expression, that to me equals your point of view. And the beauty of that is that it can change all the time. It can shift and grow. If you have a moment that happens to you, we're all forever changed by COVID, right? Like this moment in time has forever changed all of our points of view. So if I were to have done that like POV exercise, last year, it would look very different than it does right now. And we're not teaching people to do this kind of self-evaluation and this self-work. And then we're expecting them to go into a space with a bunch of strangers who they're about to get really close with and expecting them to be able to take the text that is given to them and tap into really difficult truths and harsh realities and all of these things without giving them the time and the space to have done this highly personal work that is what enables us to do the things with this text that's been given to us. And yet everyone can land a clean triple and that's what's most important to get your degree. And so I think that we need to have a real shift away from type and skills, honoring that skills are really important and honoring that there are certain people who are going to tap into certain stories a lot more easily or more conveniently because of their own experiences and lean into this idea of point of view and through line and really knowing who we are as people and how that affects the art that we make rather than just saying like, well, this is a tenor and it's gonna be you know, like, which of course I also get a song is written in a specific range, fine, but songs can be transposed and people cannot. And so I just think it's really important that we really start teaching and expressing the importance of those things and the, the importance of the fact that it changes and that, re, that we need to be reevaluating those things all the time and thinking about those things all the time. Mm, yeah. Right, that was a tangent. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And I, I, I haven't really thought about the connection between point of view and creativity before, but I feel like they kind of are the same thing. Like when you have... Yeah when you have your life experience and then you're expressing it, that is your point of view. And, and that is you like channeling your creativity. And so I guess it's like, cause I know that we've talked like in my, in my acting training, you know, they talk about point of view, but it's sometimes hard to like actualize it as in like, okay, how am I going to now? Right. Like you said, get, take this given text and like, how am I going to show my point of view? So I guess in your experience, when you see people come into the room like, do you, can you tell right away if they've like done that inner work yes. or, okay, 
cool. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think you really can because it's like, you know, when you're on a date (laughs) and you're sitting at the table and you can feel when someone is just really comfortable in their own skin, they feel open and they feel connected. And that can look like a lot of different things. The way people express themselves are very different, but you can tell when someone is genuinely listening, when they are present, when they are comfortable sharing who they are and their truths. And you can feel when someone is really false, when someone is putting on a performance, when someone just wants to like get to the end of the meal, right? Like it's very different. And it's the same in a casting session. I'm not trying to equate it to dating. Please don't mishear me. But the the thing when someone walks into a space and they're just really comfortable in their own skin, in their own body, they're comfortable with their voice, they're comfortable with um, who they are, that very quickly translates to how they do the material. And again, I honor that it's like a heightened circumstance and it also depends on who's in that room, whether you do feel genuinely comfortable to be yourself, whether you feel seen or validated or whether you feel ostracized, like all of those things impact that work. So I, I really do honor that, but yeah, you can tell. You really can tell when someone has taken the time to be like, oh, this is what I stand for. This is who I am. This is how I carry my body. Yeah, you can see it pretty quickly. Totally. I'm curious for you in your journey, how did you find your point of view? And do you feel like, like you said, it shifts and change, but like, can you take us through a little bit of that and how you really felt that? Real talk, honestly, social media. So I feel like I really started understanding and crafting my point of view because of Tumblr. I'm like that old, but I, I really feel like Tumblr was like the first thing for me. And I was, I was in college when I started that journey where I was like seeing what resonated with me, what was inspiring me visually, what was inspiring me in terms of writing, who were the people who were speaking directly to me, who didn't even know me, what bedrooms was I like interested in living in? What trips did I want to take? What foods did I want to eat? And it like forced me to sit there and be like, okay, I choose this recipe. I think this is interesting. Wow. That challenges my mind. I'm going to follow that person and keep reading them. And so I was kind of curating a visualized interest board in like things that were interesting to me or challenged me or, you know, felt like me. And that's what really like started me thinking about the power of how things like social media can really craft and create and reinforce and help you understand your identity. So that's kind of where that work started. And then I started utilizing Instagram as a professional tool to do the same thing for other folks. And I started public reminders to myself and I started like practicing public vulnerability for myself uh, because I needed to express, that's a part of my creativity is expressing things that I feel like most people repress. And I wanted to see like, what would happen if I did that? Like, would it harm me? Would it help me? Would it hurt other people? Would it help other people? Like what was going to happen? And that was very interesting. So doing all of that work really helped me kind of put together the POV exercise of moments plus code plus expression equals POV and figuring out how to do that exercise. And now I just do that exercise a lot all the time. <laughs> I love that. And I, I, I didn't expect you to say social media, but I think that's so cool because it gives you so much information about what you like and like curating your own experience, which in a way is like learning how to, t- to figure out what you like and what lights you up and what's what you're curious about, which then translate to telling your story and telling and expressing who you are. And I know you're super passionate about storytelling and championing storytellers. And so for you, like 
what is that for you? What is that feeling of like really getting someone's story or, or how, like, are there so many different ways you can tell a story? So what are the things that you are like, you really gravitate towards and you're like, yes, that is, that's what lights me up. As like a consumer of stories or as someone who's like a champion of stories? Let's do consumer first. And then I kind of want to hear the second part. I, oh my gosh, as a consumer, selfishly, I'm really passionate about things that question and bring into light a lot of the things that was like reinforced in my upbringing or childhood or like social norms from when I was a kid that are things that I think were fundamentally broken and really, really, really problematic. And I love watching things. I'm, I'm obsessed with shows like Sex Education and, you know, shows that really bring forward ideas about human sexual, sexuality, sexuality, identity, gender identity, gender politics throughout time. So I also think like that's why people are obsessed with Bridgerton, right? Because it is challenging the ideas of sexuality and identity and, you know, body autonomy in in, you know, Regency England, which is not something that we see all the time. People are fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by it. I'm also fascinated by stories that really deep dive into human psyche. So, you know, things like Sherlock, where we're looking at very deeply troubled, challenged humans who are also hyper intellectual and how they utilize those skills to navigate a challenging world. That is super interesting to me. I am very interested also in like love and learning about how different people love and different groups of people show and, and experience love, how love can mean so many different things. So I, I'm also genuinely fascinated by that. I love documentaries. I love real stories. I love crime stories. I mean, all the things. But I think the thing I'm most passionate about in terms of like championing stories is I am interested in championing stories that look nothing like my own. So I am fascinated and passionate about reading scripts and creating artistic families and getting out things that are not about white suburbia. Because like that's been told for a long time and I, those stories impact me deeply and I feel them deeply, but okay. <laughs> like, okay. Um, so that's, that's something that's really important to me and things that I'm really interested in. Yeah. Mm, that's beautiful. What feels really creative to you in the casting process? Like how would you how would you describe that as like a creative process? I think the truth is a lot of people don't think it's a creative process, which I think is really sad. Victor Vazquez, who's a casting director that I really respect in the city, he wrote an article recently about how he thinks casting directors should actually be now called casting designers and how that would really change the way that casting is perceived and make us a part of the creative team in that way as part of the design team, which I'm like, yummy. Yes, that's it, Victor. Victor's a genius. And that to me is, is real. So, you know, I studied anthropology and folklore in college and anthropologically speaking, casting directors are curators of small societies. And so for me, when we talk about the creativity and the design element, it's providing a lot of options for highly creative people and then trying to solve this beautiful puzzle and making sure that all of the pieces really fit together and that not just talent-wise, skill-wise, but like, will they create a cohesive society? Like, will the bodies in space work well together? Do the bodies that we're putting together, do those humans 
take direction in the way that this director directs? Are they going to be good on the bus? Like, will they show up and be on time and be good humans? Or, or you know, how do we navigate the different personalities and things that are brought into that space? There's so much more to casting than just like creating lists and knowing talent and, and you know, bringing people into the room, which is also an art form in and of itself. But I think people forget about the realities of the kind of connective tissue of it and then the getting to know actors on a human level and then trying to paint and curate an artistic space filled with different bodies and different lives and different emotional realities and hoping that it becomes a cohesive unit and then walking away and letting someone else kind of take control over that. I think it's really beautiful and really challenging. <laughs> yeah, it's such an underrated process, like thinking about it as people as a different paint and you are painting that masterpiece and it can look so different depending on who's looking at it, but you are the curator of that experience, kind of similarly to what we're talking about. It's interesting that you say paint because I often describe it like a paint by numbers where my job is to create the canvas with all the little like spaces in it. And like the director puts numbers for each color of paint, like one, two, three, and then I have to cultivate the palette right? Like yeah. it's, it's like, my job is to come with this artistic palette of lots of different colors. And then the director says, okay, I want one to mean this blue. So now we're going to take this blue and fill it in. And then I want, you know, the three to represent this orange. And so now I'm going to paint it in. And then we walk away and there's this beautiful portrait, but my job is to cultivate that canvas of like blank space. And then also to provide a palette. And then it's the director's job and the producer's job to choose which paints from that palette make their portrait. Mm, that's such a beautiful metaphor. Thank you for describing that so beautifully. We're going to switch gears a little bit. And I'd love to talk a little bit about no marking because yeah. you are someone who just jumped. Like as soon as the pandemic hit, you were like showing up, showing up for your community. And suddenly thousands of people were taking these classes that you curated. So will you talk a little bit about what that process was like for you and what's happening with it now? I mean, honestly, it was wildly overwhelming. I posted, so I was, like I said, it was in LA. I was doing final callbacks for a show. Everything was shut down. We finished the final callback and the producer literally looked at me and was like, we have got to go back to New York right now. We changed our flights. We got in a car to LAX and we got like the last flight back from LA to New York. And it was terrifying. I mean, I look at pictures of us, the creative team on the flight, and like, we didn't even have masks on. Like that's yeah, we weren't wearing masks. That no, that's how early it was. We like had gloves on though. Like what? It was very bizarre. But before I got on that flight, I had an idea of like, okay, the first thing that's going to go is people's money and classes and community. Like, so I posted something on Facebook, which is so funny now because I don't even use Facebook anymore a year later. But I posted something on Facebook that was like, hey, if I were to create some free classes, would anyone want to volunteer or show up? And we got on the flight. And then when I landed, the post was like 800 people were like, I will, I will, I will. And I was like, oh shit, this is a real thing. Like, okay, let's go. So I created a Facebook group and I started scheduling things. And I was like, we're going to do seven classes a week. And I was doing that seven classes a week. And we did it for almost five months. And by we, I mean, like me, pretty, <laughs> I had a couple of helping hands, but I was doing all of the graphic design. I was doing all of the organization. I was creating all of the Zoom links. I was running everything. And to be perfectly honest, it was beautiful and magical. And the work we were doing was phenomenal, but it was totally volunteer-based. There was no money, which is why, which is what I wanted it to be. And it was so spectacular, but I got so burnt out because I wasn't taking care of myself. I was doing all of this work. And so five months into it, I was like, 
I got to take a break. So I put everything online in a free resource that anyone can find on the website, nomarkingsociety.com. All of those classes are still available for free. There are like 300 classes there that you can take for free, but I'm trying now. I mean, it took months to kind of recover from the amount of work that I was putting into that every day. It was seven days a week. We had classes every single day for five months. And so it's taken a while for me to like recover from that thing. And now I'm honestly trying to figure out next steps of what that looks like, because I, I believe education should be free. I believe access to these resources should be free. I also believe people should be paid for their teaching. And that's where I had a problem with no marking is that I couldn't pay teachers because we weren't taking in resources. Everyone was volunteering, which was beautiful. But after five months, people were done volunteering. Like they needed a job, you know, <laughs> and they deserve to get paid. And so it got overwhelming. And so I would love in a dream world, I would love for an entity like Playbill to, in essence, like acquire no marking and create a free resource of those kind of educational programs so that teachers can get paid and students can have access to those kind of resources for free. I think that a huge part of the way we're going to change the system moving forward is by breaking down the pay for play experience and by creating access to free resources for folks. So that would be a dream because the reality is I just need help. Like I can't do it by myself. And if 2020 has taught me anything, it's that it's okay to ask for help <laughs> and that you don't have to do everything by yourself. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for the future is that I find some place or some folks who want to work with me so that we can get teachers paid, but also create an, a completely free resource. That's so beautiful. And I, it, I mean, it's such a testament to who you are as a person, like just jumping in to helping mode, but then also kind of, it sounds like your own journey through this COVID process is learning that like okay you doing seven classes a week like and curating it all yourself and organizing it like that's who's doing that that's insane like you can't do it alone but the idea and the impetus of it sounds so exciting and I feel like probably there are grants out there that could help support it at some point down the line when you kind of have more energy and space for it and yeah. so speaking of Playbill I'd love to hear more about your work that you're now doing with Playbill which just sounds so exciting, centered around self-care and wellness, which we love here. We love talking about that. Yeah, I mean, we love talking about it, but what's so exciting about Be Well or Broadway Wellness that I'm doing with Playbill is that a lot of these like big news outlets and resources have not talked about wellness at all. They perpetuate these ideas of like the beauty and the grandeur and the like all the things about what it is to be a Broadway star, but we don't actually like talk about the toll it takes on our bodies and our minds and the work. And so what I'm so excited about partnering with Playbill on is like, this is the first time they're really doing programming that talks to these people who are doing eight show weeks for 20 years of their life about like, what are the practices and the realities of the toll that that takes on their minds and their bodies and how, how have they learned how to navigate those things? And what are they still learning how to navigate? And like, what have they not figured out? And how can we work through that? So Be Well is awesome. It is a, an experience where you come and for the first half of the experience, I lead the group through an exercise. So that changes week to week based on the topic. So like last time we did navigating change and we worked through like how to set yourself up for success when you're vision boarding. How do you get yourself to a place where you actually, rather than just like cutting out pretty pictures and saying like, I love this thing, but it's like, what am I actively truly seeking in my life? And then how can I manifest that through creative images? So we worked on that. And then I talked to Gavin Creel about his experience on wellness and things like that. We're talking to Jessica Vosk and we're working on anxiety 
and how to navigate anxiety when it comes to being a performer and how to, to show up for that. So we'll be doing some visualization exercises and some kind of curated wellness experiences and then talking to Jess about her journey. So it should be really interesting. The good news is if you can't join us for the private event, we will be featuring all of the interview portion for free on Playbill's website for each episode. So if you can't afford to the, the $14 to be there to do the exercise, or if you just don't want to, that's fine. Um, you can have access to all of the information from the interviews on the website for free. Wow. That's such a beautiful resource. Thank you. I'm so glad you're doing that. And I'm yeah, me so grateful to Playbill. Yeah. Right. I, that makes me think of like you and your personal practices, your personal rituals. What are kind of things that you do to keep your mental, emotional wellness in check? You know, I think that it's so interesting. Everybody always asks me that. And I'm like, the real truth is the reason that I do this work is because I really struggle to find my practices and to actually take care of myself and be well. So I think I surround myself by people and by stories and by like listening to others so that I can hopefully find like my things that help me be well. I think one of the things that helps me be well is truly listening to others and having these conversations. It reinforces that this is important work, that it's safe work, that it's vital work. And even just hearing that over and over again is a practice in and of itself that I really take to heart. Therapy is something that's very important to me. Medication is also something that's been very important for my journey and honoring that that's necessary. Sleep, which I'm not great at, but I'm getting better at, is really important. Honoring my body. I've had a very tumultuous relationship with loving my body and working actively every day towards trying to feel that love for my body is something that is a wellness practice that I am trying very hard to uh, navigate and make well. I also like love binge watching TV and just letting my brain kind of like space out. It's kind of meditative for me. I'm obsessed with Survivor right now. I'll watch like six episodes and be like, oh God, there went five hours. That was meditation. Fine. You know, for me, it kind of is. Good food is also really helpful for me. Good smells, like just setting up a space that feels good and clean and well for me. Fashion is actually something that's been a huge part of my wellness journey. And using fashion as a tool to like my body has been something that's been very, um, healing for me. Yeah. Mm, that's yeah. I was, I actually wanted to, I was thinking about like things to ask you and I wanted to ask you about your personal style and like how that, you know, relates to your expression because you are someone, you're an icon. You're, you, you're always so put together and so cute. And I'm just, I love, I like hearing about how that's kind of positively impacted your relationship with your body. One of the things I studied in school a lot was personal adornment and how what we put on our body is highly representative. Did you study it too? No, 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 but I, I love that. I love well, that. Yeah, I just studied a lot about how what we put on our body is highly representative of where we are in society, what we do, our roles. Something that was so fascinating was studying kind of the history of military uniform and, and how that very clearly led to like prep culture and Northeastern clothing culture and blazer culture and the business suit and how a business suit has become a different kind of military uniform in its own way and how it creates like a, a blank canvas of a society and business, like very interesting things. And so when I did this research on personal adornment, I thought like, well, what am I putting on my body that feels representative of me in this moment? And 
and allowing that to change and grow and how can what I put on my body make me feel good about myself? And I thought for a long time that like in certain jobs, you have to wear certain things and has, you know, there has to be a level of professionals and whatever. And I was like, fuck that. Like if I want to wear a beautiful sundress to my session, I'm going to fucking do it. Like if it makes me feel beautiful and powerful and strong, and it's going to set actors up for a better day. And it's going to set a creative team up for a better day. Then I'm going to fucking do it. And if someone wants to say something about it, then that's their business. Like that ain't my business. And so I started really leaning into fashion that made me feel powerful and allowing that to change and grow and be whatever it is. And as I felt powerful, I also started to feel more powerful in my body, which has been really hard. That's been a real struggle for me. So yeah. So I let fashion inform my power. Mm, That's so fascinating. And that's something that I personally don't think about, but I love that idea of like personally adorning yourself and like treating yourself kind of as this canvas and Mm -hmm. finding things that make you feel good. And like that impacting your, just, and it's, the world. It's more than just the things you buy. It's also your tattoos. It's how you wear your hair. It's how you, your relationship with makeup and, and painting your, your face and your canvas. It's your relationship to your body, how you carry it, what you put on it impacts the way that you carry it and move it. Your shoes impact the way you walk through the space, like anything, the the bags that you physically carry, that's adornment. That's something you're putting on your person. All of it should and can be considered when trying to establish who you are on a daily basis. Mm, Yeah, that's so beautiful. Something I love to talk about on this podcast is spirituality and connection to spirituality and like how that relates to your artistic expression. So for you, what is that connection, if any? Yeah. Yeah. I was raised in a Christian household, though that does not resonate with me as an adult. Some things from my upbringing, like kindness and empathy for others and those kind of pieces of that like Christian faith have kind of like impacted the way I see the world, though I am in no way, shape or form a practicing Christian person. I highly respect anyone who has a well-established faith that helps them navigate the world. For me, spirituality, if that's the word that we want to use, is like of a big impact for me. I, I believe in reincarnation. I'm not someone who shies away from that. Like I think I've been here before and I hope that I get to do it again. I think I will. I think that's how we learn and grow. And that's how I think inherently some folks just know how to do things because they maybe did it before. And I really believe in the power of like goodness and generosity of spirit and that when you give, you get. And so I try to practice those things every day. I don't necessarily subscribe to a specific routine or ritual of spirituality. I don't necessarily subscribe to believing in a certain text that enforces my spirituality, but I definitely believe that there is an energy in this world and that when you tap into the good bits of it, it's nice. And when you tap into the gross bits of it, it sucks. (laughs) And that like, that, that, you know, yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I like, I like that, that you feel like people have done this before and that you feel that in yourself too. Cause I definitely, definitely have that same connection too. Yeah. Beautiful. One more thing is that I love sharing creative resources with people. And I feel like you've already mentioned a bunch of things, but are there any things that you're really into right now or like books that have really helped you on your journey or any, any creative resource that you want to share with others? Yeah. I mean, I think there are several avenues of creative resource right now for anyone listening who's interested in social justice or change. Like there are so many amazing groups that are highly creative, like Broadway for Racial Justice and BAC and, you know, lots of platforms that are helping artists 
create real tangible change outside of their own person. And I highly recommend, especially Broadway for Racial Justice is doing so much incredible work. That is a resource to tap into. If you're trying to do some interpersonal creative work and not just social change, always and forever, the creative habit, toilet therapy is something that you can literally go back to every year and like look at and you'll have a new experience. I yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so many books that I just want to tell everyone to read letters to a young poet, read it. It's great. But also I think the real truth is the resources that you're looking for are there. And your job as a human is to figure out what you need to be working on rather than someone telling you what book to read or what class to take. It's not their job to tell you what journey you need to be on or what work you need to be doing. The real work is figuring out where your like dearths are and what you need to fill, what questions you haven't been asking and what work you haven't been doing. And then Google that and find the resource for that because my journey is very different from yours. And I'm not here to tell you that Twyla Tharp is gonna speak to you because she might not, right? Like she really might not. And so don't do it if she doesn't speak to you. Find an author, find a person who resonates with you and the questions that you're asking and then go for it. And if it continues to speak to you, keep doing it. And if it doesn't move the fuck on, don't, don't do something because someone recommended it for you. Do something because you know, you need to do the work. Mm, thank you. That is so helpful. And definitely like what I'm sure most of us needed to hear. This is <laughs> totally random, but have you ever heard of human design? Mm -mm. Okay. Human design is kind of like, if you're into astrology or chakra systems or any of that, it's kind yeah. of like a system that tells you like your personality type based off the time and stuff you're born and just yeah. the way that you speak and the way that you're so like lit up by what you do. I feel like you have to be a generator, which a generator is someone who you might be a manifesting generator. I'm going to have to look it up later. It's someone who like really gets like inspired by the work that they do. And they have this like endless motor and like they could go forever. So it's, it, for me, it's just been really helpful. And like, figuring out how I work and giving myself permission to work the way that I work. Cause similarly yeah. to you, I like, I love working and I think I was addicted to the hustle and I'm still trying to like untangle that a bit because Oof. it's hard because of society, but also cause I feel like when we're passionate about something, we just like want to want to do it. And like, so I just, I felt like mentioning that to you. So if that's helpful at all, yes, uh, please, I know I'm, my Enneagram is like three wing four and I am an ENFJ and Ooh. my uh, strengths finders are futuristic woo communication. I do this stuff, but I've never heard of that one before. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'll, I'll send it to you, but that's amazing. And lastly, where can people find you, your work, if we want to sign up for the stuff you're doing with Playbill? I am highly Googleable. So <laughs> kate-lumpkin.com is like the main hub where you can find me. You can find me on social media at Kate Lumpkin on TikTok and Instagram. You can find the Playbill stuff if you go to playbill.com slash social selects. That's where you will find those workshops available. And then you can also find those replays on playbill.com. And if you're interested in no marking and taking any of those classes from this past year, you can have access to all of those free, free resources at nomarkingsociety.com. Again, you can just Google the No Marking Society and that all pops right up. Yeah. And if you ever need me, you can contact me through my website. I'm really easy to, to find and chat with. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for just being such like a giving. I think of you as someone who's so giving and just so generous and so kind and so you're a light in this industry. You're a light in this world. So just thank you for the work that you do. 
thank you for doing this work. And you are just like lovely and generous and kind as well. This has been so lovely. I hope you enjoyed that episode and thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please feel free to share it with a friend and tell them what inspired you. Or if you'd be so kind, you can rate and review the podcast. And when you do, I would love to gift you my free guided writing meditation that will connect you to your creativity, yourself, and your spirituality. Just go on over to my Instagram at Leah Van Doren. That's L-E-Y-A-V-A-N-D-O-R-E-N and send me a screenshot of your review and I will send over the meditation and I would love to hear your thoughts. Stay inspired, stay creative, and keep shining your creative soul.